you're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars Podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Hey, welcome back to the Restaurant Rockstars Podcast, engaging topics that help restaurants build their brands, rock their profits, and deliver amazing guest service experiences. Many of you know that when I ran restaurants, I was all about superior service, building affinity with my customers, and putting systems in place across my restaurants. So today, I'm really excited to be talking with a customer service and client retention expert. His name is Mr. Jim Palmer. Now, Jim is a marketing and business building expert. He's the founder of the Dream Biz Academy, Dream Business Coaching, and the Mastermind Program. Jim is also the host of Newsletter Guru TV and Stick Like Glue Radio. It's a weekly podcast that showcases Jim's unique brand of smart marketing and business building strategies. So we got a lot to talk about today. Jim is known around the globe as the newsletter guru, and I can't wait to get into that. Jim has built several successful franchise businesses using the power of newsletter marketing. He's also the author of six books. So Jim, that's quite a resume, and I can't wait to get into all this with you. So thanks very much for joining me today. Uh, it's my pleasure, Roger. You know, Stephanie and I, we've raised four kids. We did go through some tough times, and a big treat for us was taking the kids out. We'd go to a local pizza place. We'd have them cut it in, in slices of 16 so everybody could have more than one slice. But now that you know we're, we've achieved a little bit more of a nicer lifestyle, so to speak, we eat out a lot. So I'm, a, I'm very restaurant savvy, you know, from a customer's perspective. You know, it's funny when you're in the business like I've been for so long and anyone who is in the business, we really have a tendency to look a little bit more closer at the whole experience, not just the food and drink, but the service specifically, which I believe has always been a competitive advantage. So Jim, let's begin with your story. You've had some hard knocks in your life before your path to success. Would you care to share with our audience how you got where you are today, what happened to you and, you know, the journey? Sure. So I was 41 years old. I was VP of marketing um, for a, a training company. Uh, I, got, I was very young. I got married at 21. My wife was barely 21. We started having kids right away. By the time I was 27, we had four kids. And we kind of went the route of uh, Stephanie being a stay-at-home mom. So I was like the main breadwinner for the family. So I was very career-focused. And I just had this goal, Roger, that I wanted to be a VP by his 40 for no other reason. It just sounded good to me, right? So I did that and had a lot of success. And then at 41, um, I went to the owner's office of this company said, you know what? I think we're good. I don't think we need marketing anymore, which I know was a horrible mistake. We said, we're going to eliminate your position. And I was out of work. Now, I, I've always been an, you know, an entrepreneur at heart. I've really worked for entrepreneurial companies. And I knew someday I'd be an entrepreneur, but I didn't think that was the right uh, jumping off point. And, you know, I had four teenagers at home at that time. I don't know how many insurance, you know, the health insurance, all the different things we cover if we're, you know, safe adults. And, and um, if this thing, this affinity four teenagers have with food. So I thought, you know, I better just go get another job for a while. That, per, that turned into a 15-month deal with unemployment. And, you know, my, I, I think it's fair to say I had a very healthy ego. I'd done well for myself. But, you know, suddenly my self-esteem, my, uh, my, my confidence and my ego were just crushed. And 12 months into this 
15-month ordeal, um, I was diagnosed with cancer. So I'm like, here I am at a very low point in my life Mm -hmm. thinking it can't get any lower. And then I took a call from my doctor who goes, it is malignant, you have cancer, and you better see a surgeon right away. I'm like, holy smokes. I was Roger, I was pretty sure at that moment, if you looked in the dictionary under stress, you know, you'd probably see my face. And um, But you know, I'll fast forward for the sake of time. But about two months after that, <clears throat> of course, right during that moment, so now I had surgery um, late August 2001. So I remember being at home on the couch recovering when I saw September 11th happen. And any prospects that I felt for a job were just gone because, you know, I'm sure you remember the country was like in a very like, wow, what's going to happen? Oh, yeah. There were no planes flying day, for like, like five yesterday. days. Yeah. And I know speakers, that whole business crashed because, I mean, it was just – so anyway, I thought, what am I going to do? And um, I just decided that when you're in such a low place, I just got inspired to start a business. So I opened my first business and uh, for the first year, almost 12 full months, I was revenue-free, <laughs> which I took a year to get my first client. Uh, but then, because I was working really, really hard that whole year doing what I now call planting seeds and meeting people, developing relationships, cold calling, knocking on doors, doing everything I could. You know, if you want to have a harvest, you know, you got to plant a lot of seeds. Well, I planted a ton of seeds, and all of a sudden, it, at the end of month 12, I got a really big client, and then two, three, four, and I just took off. And five months into that first business, I was doing multiple six figures, but like so many people, and I'm sure, listen, I'm sure restaurateurs can appreciate this. I was working like a dog, like 80 hours. I was doing everything in the business. And then my wife said, Hey Jim, when are we going on vacation? We haven't been on vacation since before you lost your job. Right. And I thought, well, could we afford a vacation? Yes. But how am I going to go away? My business would like not run without me. I mean, it would literally, this is back before Ring Central and you could actually forward your calls and stuff. Nobody's going to answer my phone. Nobody's going to do anything. And that's when I decided I need to reinvent myself again, Roger. So I started learning internet marketing and direct response copywriting. I started learning about leverage and I started my first internet business called No Hassle Newsletters, which is one of my flagship. I branded myself the newsletter guru. And suddenly, I, I you know I built a business that you know more than two hundred clients in nine different countries using my my templates and and content. And then I launched you know, Hassle Social Media, Concierge Print and Mail on Demand, Success Advantage Publishing, Custom Article Generator. So I got all these businesses going now over about three to four years. And then people started asking me, "How are you doing that?" And that's when I launched my dream business coaching program. That's a great, and started writing books, etc. So that that is quite a journey. What a story of of hardship and then overcoming hardship and just getting over that mindset and the anxiety and the fear. And I know you've written a book. I'm going to get into that a little later. And I love the title of that book. But you know that kudos to you for for having the you know the fortuitiveness to stick through that really difficult time. Your wife sticking by you and then ultimately turning you know your life around. So you talk about building a dream life, Jim, and I think everyone can relate to that. So what does a dream life look like to you today? Well, it started when I, you know, I'm all about branding and marketing, which I think every restaurant needs to be known for something. You can't just have John's Restaurant. Well, what kind of food is it, right? So, you know, when I first branded myself in the newsletter business, I created the newsletter guru, you know, supposedly the best and smartest newsletter guy on the planet. Well, I never went to school for de- desktop publishing. I never went to writing school. and But yet here I am calling myself the newsletter guru. Then when I started coaching, well, 
I could just be a business coach, but then I would be an also. There's so many other. So I said, well, if you're going to have a, a business, you should have a dream business. So I became the dream business coach and I have dream business academy. But so a couple things that I think fit the dream business, multiple streams of revenue are good because if all you're doing is driving one revenue stream through more sales, that can get cyclical, right? So if you have different revenue streams, that smooths things out. It's always fun to operate. It's always running on all cylinders, I say. Um, it becomes an asset for worry-free retirement. So you're not just working, working, working. You're building something that can – when you're ready to check out and go live in a boat like I'm going to do or go sit on the beach or sit in the mountains, whatever your dream is, you can do that. Your business should be able to do that. And then you know, the final thing I think for dream business, Roger, is it allows you to give back and make a difference in the lives of others and just sustaining your own life. So – for me, once I built my dream business and I started teaching other people, you can then take the kind of the overall parameters of a dream business and then apply it to your dream lifestyle. So four years ago, I started working only three days a week through my coaching. All of my internet businesses that I still own, I have a team of 13 people that run those kind of on autopilot. So the only thing I do now is work with my coaching clients and do interviews with folks like yourself, right? And so I do that Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. I have no calls Wednesday and Friday. I call that my bookend schedule. So I'm I'm working like a dog. You and I just connected. I was like, hold on a second. I was literally from one call to the next for three days a week from about 8.30 to yeah. 6 o'clock. And that allows me to make a decent living. And my wife and I, with all our kids are grown and gone. In fact, we have three grandkids now. We bought a um, a 50-foot yacht and we sold our house of 28 years and we're getting ready to move on the boat. I'll still work on the boat, put my desk on there, got internet figured out. And so we're going to go cruise around up and down the East Coast of the United States living on this boat. So that is actually a dream lifestyle. But you need a dream business to be able to have a dream lifestyle. For sure. So I often talk about exit strategies, which means different things to different people. But for me as a restaurateur, you know, I ran restaurants. I started them from scratch built them up. They were super profitable and, and super powerful brands. You know, they all yeah. had a brand identity. I had affinity with my customers. It became my identity over years. And it was a real challenge for me to step away from that. And, you know, now this is my new identity, you know, restaurant rock stars. But an exit strategy can be selling your business. It can be like you said, putting people in place where they've got your back and the place or your businesses are running on running on auto on auto on autopilot building different businesses and putting that same system in place so i'm a huge advocate of systems clearly systems are the key to your success and i want that message to get across to every restaurant owner okay okay you can be spinning your wheels you can have a busy restaurant but with no systems in place you're not getting anywhere and you know you know i'm a big some freedom I'm right there with you, Roger. You know why systems are very often not put in place and why that's very bad thinking? Because it doesn't happen overnight. I mean, to create systems and procedures and document it, create the training, that can take a year if you're going to do it right. But then with those systems and procedures, it allows you to step back. Now, a lot of people are just so enmeshed in day-to-day living. They're thinking about, well, okay. But here's why systems and procedures are also worth the investment is because when you want to sell your business and ultimately you know, check out whatever that looks like, <clears throat> there's a couple things in my world. And I'm not an expert on this, but I'm, I've, I've got some knowledge. They're going to look at cash flow. They're going to look at, um, you know, obviously how much money the business has made net, right? But they're also going to look for systems and procedures in place 
so that when so you sign the papers on Friday, Friday mm-hmm. and they the new owner takes over Monday morning, I know restaurants are open on the weekend, but when you take over on Monday morning, everything keeps running without the former owner. Exactly. And if they think there's going to be a big mess, sales, that's going to lower the price that you're going to be able to sell your business for. So doing it now will make your life easier, as you know, but it's also going to help you get a, a, a larger um, price when you sell the business. That was certainly the case for me. I mean, I had a turnkey operation. It had huge cash flow. It was proven over 20 plus years. An employee actually bought my business. Uh, One of my bartenders who had another restaurant on the coast of Maine, and that was part of the story. But I mean, I had a philosophy from the very beginning, Jim, that I'm sure that you can um, totally relate to. And it's work on your business today. So you decide how or if you work in that business in the future. And you know you've got a system If you can walk away from your business, whether it's a restaurant, an online company, whatever it is, if you can walk away for a week, a month, a year, and when you come back, it's just as strong, if not more profitable than the day you left, that's when you have a system. So that's something that every business owner should really, and like you said, it might take a year, but isn't it worth the homework now to create that kind of freedom in the future? I could not not do what I'm doing now if I didn't learn to delegate and let go. Like the newsletter business today, I don't write them. I don't produce them. I don't update the membership site. It's all systematized, right? And, you know, I think a lot of people, especially business owners, can relate to you got to hire right and you got to train right. But there's another piece that I've learned. I was in retail when I was 15 years old. I was a manager at 21. So, And by the time I was 28, I was regional manager, like 100 plus. I understand the whole service mentality. Here's the thing I learned. When you hire and train right, there's the missing component is you have to then empower your employees to do what it is you expect them to do. What I learned in retail, because I was in the bicycle business for a while, and I, I figured out that employees want to have the owners back. So if they think a customer comes in and let's say there's something broken, well, if it's obviously defect, we'll take care of it. But if you broke it, we're going to you're going to pay for it. And if we're going to be really good guys, maybe we'll do it half price and split it. Well, I'm about, I'm creating raving fans, so I am going to take care of that customer. The reason I have that mentality is because I don't, I don't let the short-term profit loss dictate your long-term gain. But an employee is somebody who's looking out for their boss, number one. And number two, they don't want to get called on the carpet by the boss for giving away the store, so to speak. Right? So I train my employees. I empower them. You do whatever it takes. Don't ever make me the bottleneck into keeping our customers happy. And I, I used to have this thing like, if it's less than 200 bucks, don't even ask me. Nobody ever asked me anything. First of all, our quality's high, but... I, you never I mean, want, you the want the owner to be the chief decision maker in how the business runs. Day to day. Great advice. I did something similar. You know, we had 52 employees in my largest restaurant, and I trained everyone to notice, to see what the customer sees before they see it and fix what's broken. And that, you know, that trained everybody to think like an owner, to be like an owner. And suddenly it became this family of hospitality and respect and teamwork. And 52 eyes walking through the front door notices an awful lot. And, you know, I had another sort of a, I, I say this a lot, you know, the restaurant business is one of a thousand details. And even if you get 990 of them right, it's the 10 you miss that the customer always sees. So that's the philosophy. And talk that, about. <laughs> you know, right. Oh, thank you for it. Yeah, exactly. And therein lies the, the retention piece because, you know, when something goes right, you know, 
it's a really powerful thing for a customer and you want that brand awareness, you want that, that customer service philosophy, you want people to talk about the great experiences they had. But unfortunately, the negative things that happen seem to spread even farther and faster. You know, thus, thus the need to have yeah. everyone act like an so owner. I, so. I got a quick story for you. So two weeks ago, as you and I are talking, I, I did my Dream Business Academy in Orlando. Yeah. And, and we had 50 people there. We had a nice meeting room. I mean, the total bill to the hotel was something I don't even want to say again out loud. Because like right. putting on an event is really expensive. But on, so we, we take a break at 6 o'clock on the first day. We give 90 minutes for dinner, and then we come back, and I, I have a guest speaker usually 7.30 to 8.30 or 9, right? And the, every, here's the thing. Uh, um, obviously, I've been working with the hotel for six months prior. They were on site, did an amazing job, and everything was great. But on Wednesday night, the hotel restaurant, which obviously at 90 minutes, you don't have a chance to go off site. So everybody at my event, what Roger went to the hotel restaurant, it was understaffed. People waited for their meal, and then worse, they had waited for their check. They're looking. It's like 730. I'm ready to start, and half the room's not there. A couple people would drift in and say, we're just waiting for our checks. So I told the, the man, general manager, I told the event planner that I worked with, I said, this has been an unbelievable experience, but there's just one thing. I wasn't able to start my program till 10 after 8. Because half, half the room, the room couldn't get in because your restaurant was understaffed. Now, now, you just said it's 99, 99 things done right, but one thing, one thing it leaves a little bit of a bad taste. I'll still I'll recommend still the hotel, but if that never happened, happened, I'd be talking about, about this place, place everywhere. everywhere. Right. But, you know, it almost – I hate to say this, but unfortunately some of those guests in your event may have had sort of a negative impression on the whole event and that's that was their first impression of coming to see you and be involved in your event you know and it right, may have right. started things off on the wrong foot before you got rolling and you warmed them up again so it's like you had to overcome that obstacle and transform those people into believers and followers and to really get into the material you were covering after overcoming some negatives that were beyond your control and that exactly. often happens in the restaurant business you know things happen and every, every employee, every staff person that interacts with a customer needs to understand that every customer's experience is different. Maybe someone has unlimited time and they can sit there and enjoy their coffee for a half an hour after they finish their meal. Maybe some people are rushing to get to a movie and they need to check right away. It's like every detail is important and you need to put yourself in every customer's shoes. So. That's a, that's a really great story. Let's jump back to one of your books. The title really jumps out to me. And the title is, It's Okay to Be Scared But Never Give Up. Now, I think we've all been to the place where our mind takes over and the fear and anxieties hold us back from achieving greatness. And we're just not sure how we're going to get there. You know, how do we overcome that fear to keep pushing to achieve our goals and dreams, Jim? You know, it's interesting. I did a, um, I do weekly. I've been doing weekly videos, Roger, for over six years now, and I did one about a month ago. And what's interesting is, for the last, let's say, three years, I've been in this really comfortable, safe zone with my business. I've just got it dialed in. And last June, when Stephanie and I decided to do this big adventure. There's so many things that had to fall into place that I was suddenly outside my comfort zone again because we got to sell our house for a certain price. Um, you know, we got to find the right boat. Uh, we got to do that before winter because I'm in Pennsylvania and most boats are out of the water by December. 
Right. Uh, to all right. these, like, we got to find a place we can rent, rent month to month until we move on the boat in the spring that would let us take our 70-pound dog with us. All these different things. And I was able to move through all of those, but there was then I was starting to process some things, and I call it the what-ifs. What if I don't know how to drive a 50-foot boat? What if I hit something or run aground? What if a engine falls out? What if we crash or sink? Or what if I lose internet and I can't service my clients? I never want my own life's choices to be affect my clients. All these things. And I read this book. And so, yeah, so thank you for mentioning it's okay to be scared but never give up. Because if anybody's in business, especially the restaurant business, and you're not scared at least 50% of the time, there's probably something wrong with your thinking, right? Um, yeah, but here it is. So I, I want to give credit to this guy, and I can't remember the name of his book, but it was called "What's Up Ditch." Now, the ditch is a phrase that refers to the intercoastal waterway that runs north and south, and it's called the ditch because they actually built it like in the war to keep okay. submarines from coming. Anyway, so. I'm reading this book because I want to learn about people who made the decision to become a liveaboard. That's what they call it. And he says, listen, what stops a lot of people is the what if game. What if I do run aground? What if I don't do this? What if I uh, hit the dock in front of all these people at the gas pump? And what if, what if, what if? And he goes, yeah, but what if you wake up every day and there is another challenge and you somehow fix it, overcome it, repair it, just make it better, whatever it is. And he goes, what if, pardon my French a little bit, he goes, what if you find out you actually are a badass boat driver and you go on the adventure of a lifetime and it's only because wow. you said yes. And I read that. Of course, my entrepreneurial mind, especially my coaching mind, said, yeah. What if you What if you want to start a restaurant or what if you want to expand or grow and you start playing the what if nobody comes? What if I lose my chef? What if, what if, what if? Yeah, but what if you do do it and all these things you're able to solve and you have an amazing experience all because you said yes? So the, the it's okay to be scared. That's a normal part. Anybody that tells you they're not scared – no matter what no matter business what you business own, you really, right. really, I don't know I don't what know you're doing because oh, you're yes. probably not paying attention, but you but just you keep just doing it anyway. I love it. Okay, so moving on, uh, we talked about systems and we talked about the difference between having one and not having one. So you're very famous for talking about the difference between being an entrepreneur and being a small business owner. Let's yeah. talk about those differences in your mind, Jim. Take us through that. And it, thank you for that because it is a mindset thing. So people, I always say entrepreneurs and small business owners, not using them the same. And by the way, you could be a small business owner with an entrepreneurial mindset. So let me tell you what the difference is. If you owned, oh, I'm just going to use restaurants, okay? Let's say you own a restaurant. And you grow and you start and you're biting your nails when you first open because you got people there. Nobody's coming in. Eventually, you overcome that. Word gets out. It spreads like wildfire. You add more wait staff. You actually take on the space next to you. You knock a wall down. You expand. But that's it. Let's say you're doing a million and a half, two million dollars a year. And you just can't put any more people in because you're packed from 4.30 to 8.30, whatever it looks like in your world, right? And so a small business owner who may be a restaurateur, the only way to increase his revenue or take in more income is to what? Open another location because you just got to keep selling more food. An entrepreneur is more focused not on sales but creating wealth. And if I, and if, if I was, I was the, restaurant the restaurant tour I just described, just described and suddenly I'm like, I'm booked I'm solid. solid. I bet you, I bet you, you know you something know that 99% of the other restaurants, because you know more than I do what the failure rate amongst restaurants is. Yes. Oh, yeah. It's but, huge. 
There's some, that, there's some that just survive because they don't want to close down and go work for somebody else. But the, the, the number of restaurants that actually make it and make it big is very small. Those people, I think, could have a coaching program, kind of like you're doing with your show and things like that. You could write a book. You could become a speaker. You could have home study courses. You could do seminars. You could do a lot because if you have that business that dialed in, you should have a general manager, CEO, operations director, whatever that looks like. Let the business run on autopilot for a week. And you go and run your own seminar and maybe have people pay you, oh, I don't know, how about $1,000 a month to learn how to take their business out of the ditch and into the stratosphere. So it's how do I make more income? Because this is what something I learned, Roger. The people who make really substantial incomes usually cobble together different sources of income and not just one thing revved up real big. Multiple revenue streams, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, that, that's exactly what happened to me. I mean, I opened my first restaurant. It was 23 years ago now, and it was a small lease space on the wrong side of the railroad tracks. There were three or four failed restaurants in that space before I got there because it was the only space available. But I saw an opportunity. I applied business skills to a business that isn't traditionally run by business people. I mean, let's face it. A lot of people get into this business because it's glamorous, because they're a foodie, because they're a chef. And they don't necessarily realize that the restaurant business is a business first and a restaurant second. Right. So I saw an opportunity uh, maybe a year later after I proved that I could do what I said that I could do. I mean, my story is crazy. With no experience, I walked into commercial banks asking for a million dollar loan because I wanted to buy land, build a building and start a restaurant. First question, so how many restaurants or bars you ever owned or managed before? And I'm like, well, I've never been in the restaurant business. See so the business plan. <laughs> I got a great idea. You know, it's a really funny story how it started. And I did finally find, you know, a bank that loaned me a very small amount of money. And that's why I ended up on the wrong side of the tracks in this crappy location. But a year later, after I proved that I could ultimately run a restaurant, there was a 19-acre piece of property for sale much closer at a, at a major ski resort where all the traffic was in this town, you know, literally on the doorstep of where 600,000 skiers came in the winter. Wow. Here's this piece of property and the price keeps coming down because it's on the market forever. And I remember this mantra that I kept saying over and over in my head, take the next step now or someone else will beat you to it. Yeah. You know, so I bought this property. It was way more property than I needed, but I got my million dollar loan. I built my business. It probably used eight of the 19 acres. And then like you were saying earlier, multiple revenue streams, be an entrepreneur. It's like I later developed a subdivision. I sold spec houses on the rest of the land. I sold lots on that land. You know, did multiple projects and my restaurant company kind of became this real estate management company that went on to own, you know, an apartment building or two and different things. So, yeah, keep your mind open to opportunities and what you can do to parlay your initial successes into other successes. Would you agree? What a great story. story. Man, I hope you've written a book. If not, I have. I wrote a book, too. I don't have six books. I've got one book, and it's called Rock Your Restaurant, and that's a whole other story. My listeners right. know uh, where to find that, rockyourrestaurantbook.com. But thanks for mentioning that. So, Jim, you speak my language in so many areas. I mean, we have the same philosophies and, and beliefs. Now, you're a big proponent of getting customers to come more often, to stay longer, to spend more money, and then to spread the word and and build your following, you know? I'd like your advice on how restaurant owners can make that happen. 
So one thing that all small business owners and restaurateurs are not exempt is they think if I'm going to increase my revenue so I can have more profit, I got to keep finding more and more new customers. But a restaurant, just like any other business, you have to attract somebody. There's the no like and trust hurdle. Once they over, they give you some money. That's how they become a customer, client, patient, whatever. In the restaurant business, if you would simply uh, give them a reason to come back, they would. Stephanie and I, you know, I love I love uh, pepperoni and mushroom pizza on Friday night. We go to these different places to experience different things. What are you going to get? Oh, never mind. I know that's just me. But you know, we go to certain places, and if they would, I don't know, take my name and address, have me fill out a card, and send me a newsletter, perhaps tell me, hey, this Friday, we're, you know, for for our returning customers, we you can pick and choose, you can design your own, whatever it is. In how about inviting people back? How about Absolutely. just – you know how many people actually say, uh, well, it's a great experience. I know they're going to come back because most people go out to eat. How many ever times? Well, how about actually proactively inviting people back? I, I had a friend um, from years ago that had a, a, a pizza restaurant in Canada in a very small town. So this is not like thriving metropolis. She created a program. It, it, you paid like $50 a month to belong to it, but you got $60 in pizza bucks, right? And so every time you order a pizza, you are going back there. Not because you got a coupon from one of the five chains that are saying, you know, 12 pizzas for a buck or whatever, but you are, you've invested in that relationship. How about doing that, right? I mean, how about when somebody comes up to you, you actually say their name, kind of like Norm, right? I know that's not easy, but figure that out. Yes. And, and, and have people back. How about greeting people when they come in the door somewhere within, I don't know, zero to ten seconds instead of standing there wondering if that's an unmanned station or not. And then, I mean, listen, I'm going down the normal things, but when you have a really great experience all the way up until the end and then you got to wait for the check or they, you're sitting there with empty plates with bones on them and they're not taking them away. Listen, people I, – I taught my kids an expression – me being in the retail for all these, I remember this uh, story, Roger, just popped into my head. Oh, gosh, I'm trying to think. Years, I'm going to say 25 years ago, our VCR broke. And when you have four kids at home and your VCR breaks, it's a big deal. I couldn't really afford them. So we went down to this um, place where there's, I think back at the time, there was Circuit City and about three or four different electronic type stores all within like a little shopping area. We went in the we first, first place. place. I saw two I saw people. Two One guy was behind the counter talking with a client, and somebody else was on the wall of stereos and stuff. And we kind of – I took the four kids with me. We gave my wife a chance to relax or clean the house. And we're over by the VCRs, and I'm standing there for like five or ten minutes. Nobody has even said hello. Now I'm starting to look around and see these guys are just talking shop. Oh, have you seen the new blah, blah, blah? Well, and I said, it might be a customer, but I'm, and so I said, come on, kids, let's go. And I start to walk. Kids are like, no, we need a VCR. I said, we're going to go, we're, we're going to go get one. As I'm heading to the door, Roger, the guy behind the counter who could have been the manager, I don't know, says, sir, it's okay. You know, we'll be with you. I said, no, I'm good. He says, I'm sorry. I can only wait on one customer at a time. And I said, well, I'm going to make it very easy for you then. Have a great day. And we bought one across the street. I'm sorry for the long story, but the expression is vote with your feet and cross the street. 
Uh, it's just uh, one of those one dad of those things I came up with, right? With, right? Sure. And I sure. never forgot that because for most of my life, we never had much money. And when we did spend money, darn it, I wanted to be appreciated because it's hard-earned money. I know it's a phrase that a lot of people use. No, I totally relate to It's no different when, when we go – and my wife and I have this expression. We like to go out at least twice a week. We go to non-chain-like restaurants. So if there's a, 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 a just a single store – or it's a or unique place. We'll, we'll go there before we go to a chain. Mm -hmm. and, and we like to experience different things. And I tell you, when you have a good experience, what you want to do is you don't want happy customers. You want raving fans. If you serve the meal on time, heated and appropriate, and, and that's a good experience. People might come back. But if you call them by their name, there's this little place we went to. We used to go there probably once a month. And we'd walk in and, oh, hey, Jim and Stephanie. They knew our name, kind of the norm factor. The waitress who always waited on us, are you going to get barbecued ribs again? I said, I might. But she knew what I got. I mean, we felt like family there. Yes, that's what it's all about. Absolutely. You know, you're talking about that Cheers family. People want to go where everyone knows their name. Yeah. And, you know, again, I can totally understand and relate to that. You know, I don't know how this happened. Uh, we, we started a, a very large beer mug club in my largest location. And at one point, just before I sold, I mean, there were 900 members of this mug wow. club. And that was all about affinity. But the key point here that you just raised is my bartenders knew the majority of those mug club members and treated each one like they were the most important member of the club. How they remembered 900 members and what they drank and what, you know how they liked their drink and you know the small talk about their family. I mean, it was all about personal service. And the kicker was whenever any of these club members walked through the door, they were recognized before they got within 20 feet of the bar and the bartender's already pouring them their favorite beer in their mug and it's finding its way through the crowd to the person before they get to the bar. How they did that, I don't know, but that was just a huge hook in my restaurant. And if you can apply that kind of thinking to any small business you have and treat every customer like they're the most important customer, you recognize them, you appreciate them, and you serve them, that is the most powerful competitive advantage that then leads to that powerful word of mouth you know, marketing. Absolutely. So it I have this so, expression. So huge. It, retention is the new acquisition. Every time you think you need to take it, people, well, I need more new. I need more new customers. No, you don't. Why don't you just market to the customers who already have come here and probably had a decent experience? Why don't you try and invite them back? And, have, and You know, I learned something. I used to work with a guy in the restaurant um, industry, and he told me when we do free meals for uh, people that have birthdays, I said, what's that worth? He, said, he kind of told me, he goes, but you know what? Nobody wants to go to their birthday alone, so they at least bring their spouse or their friends, and we end up making more money. But more importantly, when they give us that card, where we make them the hero. Mm -hmm. Not that they have Not to sing real loud and embarrass them, but, you know, but they're special. Where's that guy going to go out next time he wants to go out to dinner? You know, I'm always talking to restaurant owners about the dangers and the pitfalls of throwing money out the window on traditional advertising. People spend thousands of dollars on radio, print, and TV and all these things thinking it's going to bring in new customers when, as you say... It is far less expensive and more powerful and more cost-effective to focus on internal marketing. And that's literally training your staff to think like an owner, treating every customer like the most important, making friends with your customers every night so that suddenly 
Your staff and your customers are brand evangelists for your business. That is what internal marketing is all about. Using the four or ten walls inside your restaurant to promote what's unique, special, and great about your business, your restaurant, your operation. So, and you know why more people don't do that? <laughs> this is going to be harsh, but they're cheap yeah. and lazy. Okay. okay. Um, I teach something called retention. I have a program called Love My Retention, and I used it with my when I created No Hassle Newsletters. When I created that program, the average client uh, was staying six months, which I thought, what's wrong with that? So I started figuring out some of the weak points when they were jumping off. Long story short, I put into place a number of steps, including people on my team helping them get their first newsletter out. Because if somebody joins my program with good intentions and two months go by before they get their first newsletter, they go, well, I'm paying for this service and it's not working. No fault of mine. So I fix that. Now we help them get their first couple issues out. They see how it works and they keep going. I, I sent them a free copy of my book. I sent them something called Gratitude Cookies. We gifted them. We, for over six months, we did different things and we systematized it. So, Roger, when I started that program, uh, my, average uh, my average retention was six was months. Six it's months. now 38, 38 months. months. And I know and to I the know penny, to every time somebody joins my program, No Hassle Newsletters, I invest $42.80. That's how much it costs to do everything I'm going to do. But my average revenue per client has jumped from like $640 to $3,260. And all I'm doing is keeping them longer. The most expensive thing for any business is acquiring the customer. It is. Why in God's name do you just let them go? Like they're going to come back just because you're so good. Yes. Proactively engage with them. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about how restaurant owners and managers can create a database and get a powerful newsletter program going to create affinity and loyalty with their customers. You know, that powerful sense of belonging where people want to come back again and again because they feel a part of that business. Right. So there's a thing, um, you know, royalty rewards, whatever it is, frequent buyer, frequent eater, whatever you come up with, make it very attractive to have them sign up. Because if they sign up, you need to collect their mailing address. Not, you can't just rely on email anymore. I know email's still free and cheap, but it's like becoming less and less effective. You want their print and mail address. So you get that. And don't tell them, would you like our newsletter? Because everybody will say, no, I don't need it. Just get their address, however you can do it. Reward them, they get you know a free pizza, free pizza after 10, after 10 whatever your program, program is, or just or for your just birthday club, club, and then you start then you sending start them a newsletter. newsletter. Very, Very simple, simple two page, four page, page doesn't, doesn't even have to be color, 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 do it black and white. It's a touch point so that you're staying top of mind. Show them, you know, the the hot new recipe or the hot new program. Whatever it is, it's a it's a connection that you're keeping on a monthly basis so that you're building the relationship. That's one thing that you can do that's not going to cost you a lot of money, but it could cost you anywhere from 50 or 60 cents to a buck per customer to mail that newsletter. Now, people go, oh, my gosh, I got a 1,000 customers. I want to spend a $1,000 mailing newsletters. Well, you will, but then when they start coming back and you suddenly start spending less on acquisition marketing, like all the billboards and everything else, you're just getting more repeat business from the customers who already know, like, and trust you. By the way, when you have a raving fan, they're going to bring in new people for you. So it's an investment up front that doesn't pay off immediately, which is why most people go, ah, stop it, right? But if you do it for like three or four months, you are going to start seeing a lot of benefit to that. Absolutely huge. That is awesome. You're talking about another system right there. And I hope everyone just heard that and really paid attention to it because you're such powerful nuggets of competitive advantage in that statement. 
So you have another book called Stick Like Glue, and you talk about the leaky bucket analogy. Tell me all about that. I'm really intrigued. So every business is like a um, a metal bucket. So imagine you got a metal a metal bucket with a metal handle. It's like you go down to the you're on the farm. You go down, and you get some water, and you bring it up to the house. That bucket is like your business. Every bucket leaks, and whether you have holes in the bucket from rust or it leaks along the seam a little bit, every business leaks. Some of the best businesses in the world, whether it's um, Nordstrom's or you know, think of uh, Zappos, you know, really really high quality, they might leak a little bit around the seam, but most companies have water pouring out of that. That represents lost customers. The water in the bucket is your customer base. Okay. As you lose customers through attrition or bad experience, your bucket is draining. The only way you sustain your business is to pour new water in the top, which represents customer acquisition. My theory, which we've already been talking about, is if you plug the holes in your bucket and tighten it up, once you fill your bucket with customers, you just market to those people, you're going to have a much more profitable business because you're only marketing. You don't have to resell. You're just saying, hey, come on back in, right? So the leaky bucket, I'm, I'm very visual, so that's what I came up with to, to talk about the difference between acquisition and retention. Totally awesome. I love that. I mean, that is so true, and it's it's something that everyone can understand from a simple standpoint and apply to their business, regardless of what it is. So, Jim, you know why it's dangerous dangerous for restaurateurs not to be paying attention? You don't know when you've lost a customer. You might have a slow night, and you think, well, it's a slow night. Maybe there's ice in the room. Whatever. You'll justify the economy, the election. Whatever it is, you're going to come up with a lot. But you don't know that these people had a bad experience. And suddenly, your customer base is dropping. You just know that it's a little slow right now. But you would know that if you were constantly engaged proactively. Yes. Not just when business is slow, but on a regular basis and doing more business, getting having them come in more frequently, bring more people, and spend more money by developing those relationships. So the danger is you don't know when you've lost it. Unless somebody says, this is a crappy experience, I'm not coming back, that person's a blessing because at least you know. <laughs> but most people don't know when your business is going down. Well, you know, you just reminded me of something that, happened so long ago when I first started, you know, again, over 23 years ago, somebody gave me um, a story on a piece of paper and it was relatable to any business. But the title was, I'm the customer who never complains, but I'm also the customer who won't come back. Wow. And that was like, it hit me like a ton of bricks and it went on and on and on about that person's experience. And yes, there are those who are vocal, who will, who will love to let you know when their experience was less than perfect. And that's a great thing because it gives you an opportunity to engage that customer to make things right. And but the it. vast majority of people will not complain. They just won't come back and they'll tell everyone who will listen about that experience. And there's nothing you can do about that after the fact. And that is one of the biggest dangers in any small business. The customer and you know what doesn't I see, come back. You know what I see when we go to our non-chain like restaurants? A lot of times the owner is walking around. You can either spot him or he'll actually visit, how, visit your table. Because like you said, people aren't confrontational. They don't want to be whiners. And they're especially not going to whine to the waitstaff because it's usually not his or her fault. But if the owner asks how are things go, and I'll usually say, it's usually go, oh my God, great service, love this, blah, blah, blah. But if there's feedback, I'll share it. I'll usually say, listen, I'm in business, but let me give you a couple things. Whatever you do with them is totally up to you. 
But if you get feedback, it's the most powerful thing because you can fix it, correct it, make it better. If you get a bad meal, do you know how many times something's not right? I'm really sorry. That's step one. Or maybe if it's even better, I'm really sorry. We're going to give you free dessert. Well, I don't eat sugar, so that's of no value. Or but how about a free meal? I mean, you've got to make it right to the point that they'll get over it and give you another shot. Oh, I can't give that. Well, i got to pay my cook. Well, you know what? You're going to lose a customer, so what's going to be worse to you? Well, you know, I always used to give gift certificates. So I wouldn't give them a free dessert or a free meal. I would give them a gift certificate of value for two reasons. It allowed them to choose what they wanted, but it also led to the opportunity for them to spend more money above and beyond the gift certificate. Because again, they wouldn't come alone. They would bring friends, family, whatnot. And it was a reason for them to come back. But, you know, absolutely so important to make things right. And we talked earlier about empowering the staff to make things right. And every member of my staff didn't have to come see me. Oh, this person had a bad experience. They were empowered to take care of it. If it was something uh, you know, that was a little bit more serious. I was always happy to talk to the customer if the customer wanted to speak to me because I was there quite often, but it, it didn't have to be that way. I mean, the right, staff, right. again, were empowered to make things right and to do any, you know, whatever it was to make the customer happy and to convert them into a fan, not someone who was going to go around and say, I had a bad experience at, at Roger's place. So Yeah, good for you. Yeah. So where can the audience learn more about what we talked about, Jim? You've got several different websites, several different URLs. You're a coach, you're an author, you're a speaker. Um, do you want to throw out a few things, and I'll also put them in into the uh, the show notes for today's podcast? Yeah, sure. So my uh, my home base, because I do have I I lost count, but um, getjimpalmer.com, www.getjimpalmer.com. If they want to attend one of my events, it's Dream Biz Academy, Dream B I Z Academy. I cover a lot of this kind of stuff. Um, if they're interested in my program, it's uh, Dream Biz Coaching, Dream B I Z Coaching. Those would be the main three. Okay, awesome. I'll make sure that gets into the show notes. So, Jim, thanks so much for joining us today. Do you have any last words of advice to our restaurant audience? You know, there's one thing I always say. You will earn significantly more for who you are than what you do, which means it's not about the deliverable. And that's true even in the restaurant business. It's not so much about the food, although that's very important. But people love to connect. It's like we'll go back to Sam, the bartender, and then Woody and you know Coach. It's really about who you are, your reputation. People will say, oh, we got to go. You're not going to believe this guy. Every once in a while he sings or whatever it is. It's about the restaurant having a personality. It's not just about the food. So food is great. The experience has to be good. Everything has to be great. But people will most often talk about something unique, which is of a personal nature. So, you know, whatever. maybe they knew you as a skier. I don't know. But there's something about you you want to promote. And a lot of people, this is where they, they get, I'm not, I don't want to be in the spotlight. I just want to give a great experience. That's fine. You may even have a great restaurant. But if you can be a personality, like I'm a per, I do 100 interviews a year, dream business coach, newsletter guru. My whole life, I was behind the scenes helping other business owners with marketing, but now I'm in the face you know, of a lot of people. That's what you do. People are first attracted to me, then they learn what I do. So let people be attracted to you as a person for something, and then they're going to want to connect with you in the other ways, which in this case would be your restaurants. And to take it a step further, train your staff to be their own unique personalities and train your staff to be their own brands within your small business brand. 
And that has served me really, really well over the years. You know, everyone has a unique personality. I used to have servers that would tell jokes at the table. They would juggle. They would entertain the kids all while they were serving the customer. And that led to more of that affinity, more of that repeat business and word of mouth. Because everyone had a special experience. And that's very, very important no matter what kind of business you run. So, Jim, I can't thank you enough for joining me. There was so many nuggets of information. Yeah. It was just just awesome. So that's the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please give us a review on iTunes, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. And while you're there, download a copy of the book, Rock Your Restaurant. It's a game changer. See you next time.